this weekend, we're wrapping up our journey series. And I just wanted to begin by asking you a question. Have you noticed that we now live in a world where God gets blamed for everything? Every time something bad happens, whether it's a terrorist attack or a mass shooting or maybe even a natural disaster, we just want to point fingers at God. We, we want to blame God. In fact, there's a local radio station that I occasionally go on in the morning, and we have this little segment that's called Ask Pastor Mike. And people can call in. They can ask anything they want. But I'm telling you, nine times out of ten is after something has really gone wrong in our society, in our world, in our culture. And the question will be something like this. Why would a good God... Or why would a loving God? In other words, we want to blame God for everything. But I'm going to be honest with you. I've never had somebody say to me, you know what, Mike? I've never really believed in the devil before. But now that there's so much bad stuff going on in the world, and there's so much bad stuff that's happening in my life, I now believe in the devil. Now, that may have happened, but I have never, ever heard that story. It seems like regardless of what's going on, we always blame God. And I'm not exactly sure why that is, because as we learned in the very first week of our series, The Journey, we learned that when God created mankind, God created mankind in a relationship with him. In other words, when God created Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve didn't have to do anything to be in a relationship with God. They were created to be in a relationship with God. In fact, if you remember the first week of the series, we looked at a verse in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where it said, right after God created Adam and Eve, he blessed them. And we asked the question, what did they do to deserve being blessed? They hadn't done anything but been created. But see, God blessed them because he was in a relationship with them. But let's be honest. None of us really want to be in a relationship with somebody who doesn't want to be in a relationship with us. God's the same way. God knew that. So God made sure that he gave mankind the freedom to either accept or to reject his offer of a relationship. And Adam and Eve made the choice to break the relationship, to break intimacy with God by disobeying God and doing the very thing that God had told them not to do. God said, listen, I created this garden for your enjoyment. Enjoy it. Take care of it. There's only one thing. Stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat from every other tree, but don't eat from that tree. And sure enough, what did they do? They went and they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when Adam and Eve made that choice, all of a sudden, chaos broke out in the world because when they made that choice, the world was introduced to sin and sorrow and death. And when sin and sorrow and death entered the world, I'm telling you, from that point on, mankind has been suspicious of God. Mankind has had the attitude, I'm not really sure that I can trust God. And the reason is, is because intimacy was broken in the Garden of Eden. And once intimacy was broken, just like in our other relationships, our human relationships, trust was broken. And that's why so many of you sitting and listening this weekend, you have such a hard time trusting God. But what we're learning in this series, what's amazing is this, we saw it the very first week. Even though mankind broke the relationship, God didn't break the relationship. God created a perfect environment, a perfect world for mankind. Mankind broke the relationship. Mankind broke the intimacy. Mankind turned their back on God. Even though that happened, God's like, no, I know that's what you did, but I still desire to be in a relationship with you. I am head over heels in love with you. I want to be in an intimate relationship with you. And so even after mankind broke down the relationship and destroyed the intimacy, God began to go to work to devise a plan so that the relationship between God and mankind could be restored so that it could be 
a reality. Now this weekend, we're gonna wrap up our series, The Journey. We've been basing it on the life of Abraham. And what I want you to see this weekend is how Abraham fit into God's plan of restoring the relationship between God and mankind. And I wanna wrap it up by looking at a part of the story that uh, we skipped over earlier in the series. You may or may not be familiar with this, with this, uh, this story. And I saved it to the last week because I wanted to show you how Abraham, the story of Abraham fits in with Christmas. And right now, some of you who have been here the whole series, you're thinking, good luck with that, right? But, but I wanna show you this unique interaction between God and Abram so you can see just how intentional God has been about reconnecting with mankind. I want you to see how tenacious God is about reestablishing the same kind of relationship with us that he had with Adam and Eve in the very, very beginning. A, a relationship of intimacy, a relationship of trust. And I want you to see how God used Abraham in that process. If you have your Bible this weekend, let's start by looking where we started the series, Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible, we're gonna put the verses up on the screen. We're only gonna look at a couple of passages, Genesis 12, Genesis 15. So if you have your Bible, if not, you can just follow along on the screens. Let me give you a little bit of an overview. Uh, uh, this is kind of how the story goes. Abram's just a regular guy, okay? He's hanging out in a place called Chaldea. He's just kind of minding his own business. And remember, this is a long time ago. There is no Bible. There is no church. There's no religion. There's no traditions. There's no denominations. You just got Abram hanging out. They had nothing. This was 4,000 years ago. But the Bible tells us that one day God showed up in Chaldea. And he began to talk with this guy named Abram, who we know now through the series later is gonna have his name changed to Abraham. And God said to Abram, hey, Abram, listen, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. In fact, multiple nations are going to come from you. And I'm gonna bring through you millions of descendants, but most importantly, Abram, every family, every person on the earth is going to be blessed by your influence. Let me show you that conversation one more time. Genesis chapter 12, verse two. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And God kept coming back to Abram. He kept reminding him of his promises. And on one occasion, Abram was like, God, I hear what you're saying, and I do trust you. I'm just not sure it's ever gonna happen. I mean, you're talking about nations and descendants and all of these things. I don't even have a kid yet. And you show up, you make these promises, and then I don't hear from you for 10 years. And then you show up and you make some more promises, and another 15 years go by. And so one day, one day, Abram's like, God, it's not that I don't trust you. I'm really getting to know you. I really like you. I like where this relationship was going. Could you just give me a sign? Could you just give me a glimmer of hope? Could you just kind of throw me a bone? Okay. So God takes Abram outside and says, Abram, look up at the sky. See all those stars? Yep. Can't even count them, can you? Nope. Well, that's how numerous, Abram. That's how numerous your descendants are going to be. Hey, Abram, look all around you. See the land as far as you can see, right? I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna give it to your descendants forever and ever and ever. By the way, if you wanna know why there's so much tension in the Middle East, because the Jews were given this land by God in Genesis chapter 12 forever and ever and ever. And they don't like the prospect of somebody taking the land from them that God gave them to have forever and ever and ever. Now you know where that tension comes from. 
God says, I'm going to give it to your descendants forever and ever and ever. And Abraham's like, God, I believe you. But I don't even have one kid yet. Could I just have a kid? And so God does something amazing. God established a covenant with Abram. Now, let me just say a few things about covenants. Let me give you kind of a seminary crash course. We don't have covenants in our culture, although sometimes in our neighborhood you'll have a covenant. But we, none of us go by it anyway, right? But anyway, you have a covenant. But we deal mostly in contracts. Well, a covenant was basically an ancient contract. In fact, the word covenant means to bound something together or to shackle two things together. And we talked about this before. Generally, covenants, they had four parts. There were the terms. I'll do this if you'll do that. Second was the oath. And the oath was something that was spoken to one another. And then there was the ratification. In other words, they would do something symbolically to demonstrate that they were entering into this covenant together. And then fourth was the curse. And the curse was basically, if you don't keep your end of the deal, this is what's going to happen to you. I don't keep my end of the deal. This is what's going to happen to me. And if you've ever been to a wedding ceremony, which we all have, you've actually seen three of the four parts of a covenant in a wedding ceremony. The first part uh, would be the terms. We call it the charge. And that's when, you know, that's, that's when the minister gets up in front of most couples that don't have, have really any clue what they're getting into, right? And they'll say something like, do you promise to love and cherish and keep, yada, 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 yada. You know, they say we do. But that sets the terms for the covenant that they're getting ready to enter into. And then there's the oath. What do we call the oath? Good, the vows, the vows, right? That's the part for better, for worse. You know, you say to each other for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death us do part. And how do we symbolically ratify the covenant? We exchange rings, exactly. The only thing that we don't have in the wedding ceremony that was included in the covenant ceremony was the curse. And I'm telling you, if you ask me to marry you, I am bringing the curse back into my wedding ceremonies, right? Because see, I'm thinking this, why, this is why marriages aren't holding up. We took out the curse. And the curse is basically this. Hey, Billy Bob, if you don't do what you said you would do, her daddy's got a big old gun. See, that would be, that would be the curse. And I have to. Laura told me I had to tell this story, and I know I've told it to you before, but some of you hadn't heard this great story. It's about Earl and Mabel. And they had been married 50 years and the, their little Baptist church in Mississippi got them together and throw in a big old, big old celebration in the fellowship hall. See, if you've been to a Baptist church, you know all about the fellowship hall, right? So they're getting ready to cut the cake and really to celebrate. And they look around and Mabel's there, but Earl's missing. So the pastor says, I'll go find him. And he goes, starts looking. He walks out and Earl's sitting on the front steps of the church and he's crying. And the pastor sits down beside him and says, Earl, why are you crying? It's your 50th anniversary. Everybody's down in the fellowship hall waiting for you to cut the cake. We want to celebrate. And Earl says, Pastor, I'm going to tell you something I've never told anybody in my life. He said, what's that? 50 years ago when me and Mabel were dating, we found our way to a little old country road one night. Things got a little out of control. About that time, a car pulled up behind us. Somebody got out of the car. It was Mabel's dad. He was a sheriff of our county. He tapped on my window with his baton, and I rolled my window down. He said, Earl, I'm going to tell you something. You either marry my daughter and do right by her, or you're going to spend the next 50 years in jail. And then Earl really started to sob. And the pastor's like, I don't understand. Earl, why are you crying? He said, because tomorrow... I would have been a free man. See, 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 that's funny, right? That's funny. See, but, 
Some of you men are going, yeah. <laughs> See, that's the power of a curse, right? So in Abraham's day, a, a, a curse, a covenant consisted of the terms, the oath. <laughs> come on, people, come back. The ratification and the curse. Now, understand, Laura didn't really want me to tell that joke, by the way, just so you had a clearer name. Uh, covenants had been around long before Abraham. Uh, they were a cultural thing. They weren't even a theological thing. So a covenant, when, when God talks about a covenant, this is something that Abraham is very, very familiar with. And there were all kinds of covenants in the Bible and always different ways to ratify them. Sometimes you would exchange shoes. Aren't you glad you don't do that at a wedding? I mean, can you imagine Laura walking around with my wingtips and me walking around in her strappy stilettos? See, that, would, that wouldn't work at all, right? Sometimes they would exchange shoes. Sometimes they would exchange salt. I would take some salt out of my salt bag and put it in your salt bag, and you would take some salt out of your salt bag and put it in my salt bag. And that was a covenant to demonstrate, hey, if your family's ever in need, I'm making a covenant with you. You can count on me. I'm gonna come alongside. I'm gonna provide for your family. And it went both ways. Sometimes you exchange weapons. David and Jonathan did this. And that was a covenant that says, I am pledging my strength and my power to you. And if you are ever in danger, you just let me know and I will be there. But the most binding covenant was the blood covenant. And in the blood covenant, you killed an animal and you took the animal and you cut it in half. And this probably explains why we don't do it at weddings unless you're in Fuquay, then it's a pig picking. But you know, you, you would cut the animal in half. You would separate the two parts of the animal and the two people agreeing to the covenant would join hands and they would walk between the pieces of the animal. And this is what they were saying to each other. May, be, may it be done to me as was done to this animal if I don't follow through on my commitment. May it be done to you if, as was done to this animal if you don't follow through on your commitment. It also meant I am dying to my right not to fulfill my promise to you. You are dying to your right not to fulfill your promise to me. Now understand, this was irrevocable. It was a till death do us part kind of thing. In fact, if the other person didn't keep up their end of the deal in a covenant, you had the right to take their life. Now, that's kind of covenants in a nutshell. Now, let's go back to the story. Here's Abram. God, you've been making all these promises to me. Descendants, land. You're going to bring someone through my descendants going to bless every person and every family on the earth. Thank you. I would just love to have one child. And God is like, listen, Abram, I know this is taking longer than you wanted it to take. I got a reason, but I'm telling you, I'm committed to this. In fact, I'm so committed, God says, I am going to enter into a covenant with you. Let me show you the covenant, Genesis chapter 15, verse nine. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. It almost sounds like the beginning of a joke, doesn't it? A heifer, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a young pigeon walked into a bar. Right, but see, that's not, that's not what's going on here. That's what happens when I read the Bible. I don't know why you people don't read this. It really is fun. But anyway, Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And I love this little side note. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Aren't you glad you know that? As the sun was setting, so Abraham's got everything set up. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. So, so God is giving him a heads up. Your descendants are going to spend 400 years in bondage and slavery. Where was that? That was Egypt, right? But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves 
And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. Now notice this. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. And we'll read the rest in just a second. But picture this. Abram sets up everything for this covenant. He's got all the animals sliced and diced. He's got them separated. Now, here's the big question. Abraham's familiar with covenants. What is Abram expecting to happen right now? Well, he's just assuming that somehow he and God, they're going to walk between these slaughtered animals, and they're going to enter into a covenant together. And he's expecting God to say, this is what I'm going to do to make you into a great nation, but this is what you need to do. Here's your end of the deal, and that's the way a covenant worked. It went both ways. But I want you to notice what happened in verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now notice this. This is so key. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, again, what was Abram doing while all of this was going on? Man, he's over here passed out just sleeping under a tree, right? Isn't that cool? And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And right now, some of you are thinking, oh, that's cool, Mike. What else you got? I'm glad you learned stuff like that in seminary, but I only come on Christmas and Easter. You only got me for 30 minutes. What else you got, right? Understand, this is what this meant. It meant that God, listen to me, it meant that God entered in to a covenant with Abram without requiring anything of Abram in return. There was no oath, no vow, no ratification. There was no curse. There was nothing. In other words, God was basically saying this. Abram, I don't care what you do. I don't care how bad you screw up. I am going to make you a great nation. I am going to bring you back to this land. And from this great nation that I'm going to make through you, every person, every family in the world is going to be blessed. And Abram, guess what? There's not a thing you can do about it. You just sit over there and sleep. Now, here's my question. Why would God do such a crazy thing? I mean, man's already screwed up one time in the garden. They abused their freedom. They introduced sin, sorrow, and death to the world. Why would God once again come back to the same human race? Why didn't he just judge the human race, condemn the human race, destroy the human race, wipe it off of the earth once and for all? Why would God come back to a sinner? Why would he come to Abram? Why would he choose to fulfill a promise and Abram has to do absolutely nothing? Why would God do that? This is why, and if you don't get this, you'll never understand Christmas. It's because God is on a relentless mission to reconnect with his prized creation. You gotta understand, that's how important we are to God. And guess what happened? About 15 years later, Abram had a son. And that son had a couple of sons. And one of those sons had 12 sons. And they settled down, but a famine hit the land. So what did they do? They heard there was food in Egypt. And so the entire family went to Egypt, just as God had told Abram 25 years earlier. 
And they grew into a nation right under the Egyptians' noses. In fact, historians believe that they grew from that one family in those 400 years to two to two and a half million Jews. Moses was one of those guys. And after 400 years of slavery, Moses led that nation to freedom. You've probably seen the movie, right? But he marched them, think about this, he marched them right back to the very spot where God had made all of those promises to Abram. And over the next thousand years, that nation grew and that nation developed and they had kings and armies and they had wars and battles. Every leader of Israel screwed up. Saul screwed up. David screwed up. Solomon screwed up. Every single one was unfaithful to God. I'm telling you, if you read the Old Testament, if you read the story of the nation of Israel, it is just one big mess after another. I challenge you to read the book of Judges. Some of the most gruesome things you will ever read in your life are committed by the Hebrew people in the book of Judges. They would do some things that don't, would not even make our paper today. And, and whoever's writing, and I know who was writing it, Moses, when he looked back and he wrote it, he says, ah, oh, I'm telling you, no one had ever seen anything like that happen in the nation of Israel. Till the next chapter, somebody topped it. And once again, nothing like this has ever happened in the nation of Israel. And by the time you get to the end of Judges, it says this, every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. Forget God if it's right, if it feels good, do it. Listen, anarchy. These are Abraham's descendants. These are Jews gone wild. But do you know, do you know what God did? He just kept his eye on the prize. He just kept plowing straight ahead. He says, I don't care how bad you screw it up. I don't care how inconsistent you are. I don't care if you get into idol worship, which they did. God said, I will not be deterred. I will hold this nation together. I will bring a person through this nation who will bless every individual and family on the earth. And it's simply because I want a relationship with you and I will not be deprived of what I want. And he just stayed focused. And finally, think about this, finally, 2,000 years after God made the covenant with Abram, an angel shows up in Nazareth and tells a young teenage Jewish girl, you're gonna have a son and you're gonna name him Jesus and he's gonna be the savior of the world. And it will be the fulfillment of a promise that the prophet Isaiah made 800 years ago when he said, a virgin will have a child and he will be called Emmanuel. You know what it means? God with us. And you could add, finally, finally. Isn't that unbelievable? And some of you are still thinking, yeah, Mike, I'm just not sure the Bible is true. Well, you know why? You've never read it. You've never read it. You explain to me how this storyline held together for over 2,000 years. Just as God said, 2,000 years. By the way, do you know why God took his time? Do you know why it took God 2,000 years? It's because God knew that there would be a bunch of skeptics in the 21st century going, I don't know if it's true. I've read it, I don't know if it's true. Let me ask you a question. How else do you explain a 2,000 year event? That is some conspiracy story. 
That's some serious fake news right there, right? I mean, either God, it happened just as God said and predicted, or some big conspiracy. I mean, how else do you explain it? You see, Christianity, or Christmas isn't a one-time, isolated event. Christianity is, is one part, one little part of a multi-part episode that began 2,000 years earlier when God said, I am not giving up on the human race. I don't care how bad they are. I am not giving up on the human race. I will birth a nation that will bring the Messiah. And that Messiah will offer salvation to every person and every generation that follows. And what did Jesus do while he was on the earth? He went around trying to correct people's idea of God. Like, you guys, you, you guys have got it all wrong about God. Let me tell you about God. God is like, uh, he's like a shepherd. He's like a shepherd that took 100 sheep out one day to graze. But when he got back to the fold that night, there were only 99. One was missing. And he wasn't satisfied with 99. He went out and he looked high and low. He searched everywhere until he found that one lost sheep. He got that sheep back safely to the fold. That's what God's like. God is like a, God's like a lady. He's like, she, he's like a woman. She, and, and she's got this valuable coin. In fact, maybe it's the only thing she has of value. And she loses it. And she turns her house upside down. She pulls out the sock drawer, every drawer in her dresser. She sweeps every inch of that house until she finds that lost coin. That's what God's like. God's like a father. And he had a son that went AWOL. But he never gave up on that son. And he walked out to the end of the driveway every day and he looked. And finally when he saw his son, he ran and he hugged him and he embraced him and he brought him home because he so wanted to reconnect with his son. See, that's what God is like. You see, we think Emmanuel, God is after us. Emmanuel, God is mad at us. You know, Emmanuel, God wants to crush us, right? Emmanuel, God can't be trusted. See, we've got it all wrong. It's Emmanuel, God with us at last. It's a plan, that, think about this. It's a plan that began 4,000 years ago for us. So he's not gonna give up on you now because he loves you and he wants to connect with you. So do you know what my advice is to you this Christmas? regardless of where you are on the journey, my advice would simply be this. Quit hiding from God, you know. Just quit hiding from him. Decide what, it, what is it that's keeping you from, from going face-to-face -face with God and deal with it because you need to understand he is not going to give up on you. He loves you too much. He's invested too much in the process. He wants a one-on-one -on -one intimate relationship with you. He has done unbelievable stuff to pay the way. But if you want that relationship to become a reality, you gotta quit hiding from him. In fact, you know what I think God would say to some of you this weekend? Some of you, most of your life, you've been hiding behind a bad religious experience. Maybe you're here, maybe you haven't been to church in years, you wanted nothing to do with God because of a bad religious experience. You know what I think, I think God would say to you? He said, can we at least talk about it? I mean, don't avoid me because some religious person in your past was a jerk. He might even say, you wanna see jerks? You should read about how the religious people handle my son. He's got the scars to show for it. 
In fact, we may have something in common. I'm not too crazy about religious people either, right? But God would say, don't avoid me just because of something that maybe happened to you from a, a lousy Christian or something at a lousy church years ago. Some of you are avoiding God because of your sin. <laughs> and it's not something you did five years ago, it's something you did last night. And you're strongly considering doing it again tonight, right? And you're like, well, I can't really have a relationship with God. I mean, I got all this going on in my life. You know what God would be saying? You know what? Give me a try. Just put your cards on the table. Talk to me about your sin. Just try me. Don't let your sin get in the way. I'm not going to let your sin get in the way. I've already dealt with your sin from my perspective. I think that's what God would say. Some of you are avoiding God because you're mad at him. He didn't do something that you thought he should have done or he didn't handle the situation the way you thought he should have handled the situation. And, and because of that, for years, you've just been angry. You've just been mad at God. But you know what? You've never taken your anger to God. You know? You've just spent your years hiding from him and avoiding him. Trust me, let me tell you something. God can hanger, handle your anger. He can handle your disappointment. In fact, I think he would be honored if you were to just bring it to him. You can use any language you want. You can be as angry as you want, as loud as you want. You can be as emotional as you want. But don't hide from God because I'm telling you, he is absolutely relentless and he is not going to give up on you. Some of you are avoiding God and hiding from him because you think maybe he will reject you. Let me ask you a question. Why would he send his son to this earth that first Christmas to die for you and then reject you? I mean, how messed up is that? He has been pursuing you for 4,000 years. He's been working the plan for 4,000 years. Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners and had no interest in a relationship with God whatsoever, what did he do? He sent his son to die for us. This is a 4,000-year plan. Why in the world would he reject you now? So this Christmas, why don't you do yourself a favor and quit hiding from God? He wants to be in a relationship with you. And I'm gonna, I'll tell you something, he's not gonna ever change his mind. He's got too much invested in you. There's just way too much at stake. You see, this is what I want you to understand. This is why we celebrate Christmas. It's not presents and trees and lights, great, love all those things. It's about God with us. He came in our direction after us after me after you because he loves you and he wants to connect with you don't let another Christmas go by without connecting can you imagine what it would be like to go to bed tonight knowing that every sin you'd ever committed is forgiven the courage to forgive the people that hurt you no longer feeling the guilt and the regret over things that have haunted you for who knows how long. The ability to get up tomorrow morning with a sense of peace and direction. The assurance if you never see the light of another new day that you'll spend all eternity with God in heaven. That's why the angel said, this is good news of great joy for all people. You got a savior. You got a savior. Let's pray. If you're here this weekend and you've never made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
When you realize you need saving, you have a savior. He's Jesus Christ the Lord. For God so loved, not the world, put your name there, you. For God so loved Mike. He gave his only begotten son. See. You may have been a Christian for years, but you know what? As you sit at one of the campuses this weekend, you're hiding from God. Maybe you, maybe you lost trust in him. I think we all go through that. I would just ask you, would you maybe be willing to get along with him this week and just tell him how you feel, you know? I don't care of what kind of sin you're dealing with in your life or why you feel distant from him. You, you don't have to be afraid. I'm telling you, he's your heavenly father. He's your heavenly father. He gave his son to die for you. He is head over heels in love with you. Father, thank you for just reminding us of the intensity of your love. For those that are listening and who, those who don't trust you right now, Father, I pray that you would do something this week that will bring each one of us one step closer to just laying it all out before you. For the person who's here and maybe they've been hurt by church and religion, they've been hurt by the system, I pray that they would, they would just bring it to you. I pray that you would show them from your word how your son suffered the same thing. This is nothing new. Father, for the person who's just stuck, they're just mired. In fact, they're just in bondage to unbelievable sin. We know you despise their sin, but you despise it because you know how it is hurting them. I just pray that they would have the courage to bring it to you. And Father, for those of us who aren't aware of any walls, and I pray that maybe you would reveal the ones that we can't even see. And help us to come to you just as we are and experience your love and your forgiveness and your grace in a way that changes us, not just for a day, not just for a week, but in a way that changes us forever. Thank you for your relentless pursuit. Thank you for your relentless love for us. In your name we pray, amen.